Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Megan Salas. I'm with the City of Santa Barbara's uh, downtown team, uh, the Downtown Parking Group. And we are so excited to be able to welcome the Ghoul's Guide down to State Street to put on this live presentation of their amazing podcast for you guys tonight. Uh, before we get into the fun, though, I just want to make a couple of notes for you guys here. Um, Tomorrow, State Street is hosting a fun trick-or-treat downtown with about 100 businesses that are going to be handing out candy to kids in costume. Uh, if you would like a map of the locations, we have some maps over here for you to pick up. And then the other part of it, uh, as I mentioned, with downtown parking, we are currently doing a parking survey to learn from the community what you want to see in parking. So if you would like to take one of our postcards that we have over here. It has a link to the survey. We really appreciate all the input that we could get. Um, so now that the uh, boring stuff is out of the way there, I will hand you guys over to the ghouls. So welcome to the ghouls guide. Thanks, Megan. Thank you so much, Megan. Thanks for having us. Um, <laughs> as Megan said, this is the ghouls guide to Santa Barbara. And I'm Liz. I'm Jen. And I'm Summers. And tonight we're going to tell you some stories about Santa Barbara. Jen, do you want to kick us off? Yes, so um, I'm just going to assume that you're all listeners. And uh, so if you're familiar at all with our podcast, we like to kick things off with a movie quote. It's our way of just kind of getting things going rather than just ready, go. So uh, in the tradition of the podcast, this is the Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. And we are the weirdos, mister. Do we have anyone in the audience who knows the movie? You and can you get guess a prize. It's, it's a 1996 classic. We have a we have a <laughs> magic eight ball keychain for anyone who can. Uh... Yes, it we have a the winner. Craft. <laughs> Yay, winner, winner! You have to come up here and get this. So on this week's episode, we're actually each going to tell you a story, and uh, so I think Summers is going to introduce our first story. Okay. So I'm introducing Liz right here. What? Okay. Uh, and so her story is called Do Seek the Treasure, Buried Treasure Under State Street Parking Garages. Not State Street, sorry. But that's okay. <laughs> under Santa Barbara yes. Parking Garages? Yes. That was my fault. I wrote it down. That's okay. I am very nervous. <laughs> that's I'm, okay, too. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, yes, my story is about buried treasure under a city parking garage. And so this story takes place in the early 1800s with a freebooter named Hippolyte de Bouchard. Does anybody know what a freebooter is? I was just going to ask, what's a freebooter? Yes, it's a pirate. You get a an pirate. eight ball. <laughs> Do you want an eight ball? So, uh, so I had never heard this term until I came across this story. And so it means a pirate or a marauder. Nice job, audience member. Um, it comes from the Dutch words for free and booty, just FYI, because <laughs> we enjoy uh, useless trivia on this podcast. Um, so in the early 1800s, there was not much piracy happening off the coast of California. And so this particular pirate, freebooter, Hippolyte de Bouchard, is sometimes called California's only pirate. So he was born in France, but ended up in Argentina, where he served in their Navy. He eventually became an Argentine, Argentinian? Mm -hmm. Uh, an Argentinian citizen, and uh, so in 1817, he set sail with a letter of mark uh, that gave him permission to attack Spanish ships and settlements on behalf of Argentina. Yes. Is that like a letter from the government? Yeah. <laughs> that just tells you, why did you look at me like that? I don't um, know. Look, yeah, okay, letter of mark. Yeah. And if anybody's watching, our flag means death. Uh, no spoilers, but this made me think of the character Jing Yi Sao this season. So that's all I'm going to say because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But if you're not watching that, you should watch it. Did he have a letter of Mark? I think that might be coming Mark. for this character. So a letter of Mark. Letter from Mark. Yeah, so she can go pirating. <laughs> she just got a, on behalf a letter of England. in the mail from Mark. <laughs> Close it's, enough. It's spelled differently, but that's okay. Oh, is it, how's it spelled? M-A-R-Q-U-E. Ah, that's good for my brain. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> so uh, De Bouchard sailed to the Philippines, then to Hawaii, which, again, is some useless trivia if you don't already know this. Hawaii used to be called the Sandwich Islands. What? Until 1840, when it oh, became called that. Hawaii. 
yeah. I, I, is that the indigenous term? The no. <laughs> Debouchard and his crew of 200 men made their way to California. The governor at the time was Pablo Vicente de Sola, and he lived in Monterey. And knowing that Debouchard was on the way, de Sola told all of the women, children, and elderly men to take their valuables and get out of town. So they, uh, they headed to the mission in Soledad to be out of harm's way. Oh. Knowing that this pirate was on the way. Okay. So, <laughs> Just one. <laughs> well, and, and, his, and his 200 men and, and his two boat. boats. Yeah, okay. On November 24th, 1818, they attacked the Presidio in Monterey, and which they took it over in about an hour, which oh, no. seems oh. like not great. Oh, embarrassing. <laughs> he's just yeah. one pirate, but he's highly efficient. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so they held the city for six days, stealing the cattle and burning the fort. And my, my, one of my notes was like, did they take the cattle on the I ship? Know. I, I was going to ask like, where they, they put them. <laughs> but did they just like, I don't know, eat them while they were there Sleep in, in the like six days? Tom. I don't know. Hey, I mean, they, that was a lot of burgers. So then they burned the fort and they headed down the coast towards Santa Barbara. Governor de Sola sent couriers from Monterey to the Santa Barbara Presidio, right over here, to warn... He's like, the pirate is coming. Yes. <laughs> and his 200 men. 200 men. So they came down to, uh, to warn Captain Jose de la Guerra that de Bouchard was on the way. On December... Did they, did they hit everything else between? No. No, they were I just on their own. Maybe there just wasn't much between Monterey and Santa Barbara good at there. that time. <laughs> so Sorry, Gilroy. I know. Yeah. Outlet malls, though. Right? <laughs> so, not funny. Don't laugh. That's okay. I'm always, I will always laugh. <laughs> okay, um, on December 1st, 1818, Chumash lookouts on Mount Tranquillon near Lompoc mm-hmm. saw Debouchard's ship coming into the Santa Barbara Channel right near Honda Point. And mm. if you're a listener... And you've listened to Jen's episode about the Honda Point disaster. Uh, these ships avoided that same fate, so that's great. Well, is it? Yay, one ship. They swung wide. Yes, they made Just it around, one time. around Honda there, Point. Wasn't there another Honda Point thing? There's maybe? quite a few. That, a and that's why they call it the Devil's Jaw. And also, you know, it's the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, right. That's, that's right. That's right. I feel like I should remember our past episodes because they weren't that long ago, and I just you don't. were there when we when we did it. I know. One more little bit of useless trivia for you is that Mount Tranquillon, which is on what is now Vandenberg Air Force Base, Jen space doesn't force base. Jen doesn't let we us don't. call it Space Force Base. She doesn't acknowledge that. We don't that. acknowledge the Space Force. Uh, <laughs> this mountain is the highest coastal peak between Los Angeles and San Francisco. I will remember that? that forever. What's the Pete Davidson joke? That's like being the world's smartest horse or whatever. Like it's not, it's a really specific category. It is a very specific, yes, category. Okay, so De La Guerra, just like Governor De Sola, told all of the women, children, and el- elderly men who weren't fit to fight to get out of town. And so also told them to either take or hide their valuables. And the cows. And mm. the cows. And head to the Mission Santa Inez. <laughs> told them to head to the Mission Santa Inez in Solvang. Uh, before Debouchard arrived. Now we're getting to our treasure. Yay. Uh, so Doña Josefa Miranda Dakota was a widow who lived in an adobe house on Figueroa Street right near Anacapa Street. She had a 60-foot well on her property lined with stones that had been pulled from Mission Creek. And there You can't was, do that now. No, you can't do that. You don't take beautiful Why? boulders from the creek. Because why you're gonna like change the flow and no, you know, no. I mean, have... why did she? Do that? Oh, is it just because they were like creaky? <laughs> you don't want to talk about the creeks in in the city because we could do that. We could yeah. do that for sure. No, um, I don't know because they just needed stones to like okay. build the well. I don't know if she okay. built it or if she bought the house with the well intact. I'm sorry, I didn't look up the real estate we history. We need that we level have, of detail. We don't have I'm any trying. local well stone stores here. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, so with pirates on the way she decided to hide her valuables by dropping them in her well. Smart. If you have a way to retrieve them. That's key. (laughs) (laughs) So her silver candlesticks, her beautiful copperware, uh, and her jewelry, hopefully bundled up, not just loose jewelry tossed in, uh, it all went into the well, and she left for the mission Santa Inez. As Debouchard approached Santa Barbara, he saw that the city was heavily defended, but this is the the best part. De La Guerra only had a small number of men, and I don't know how many. Sorry. <laughs> My research only goes so far. If you hadn't told them that, they wouldn't have noticed. Um, but, but it's like, it's, it's interesting because, okay, he told them, just keep changing your uniforms. 
So, oh my gosh. <laughs> so Debouchard on his ship with his spyglass, every time he looked through it, he saw men that he thought were different men. <laughs> So, but it was just like the same guys changing clothes. Like Monty which, Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, it's like always like, the I same time. It's like Kevin McAllister <laughs> defending Santa Barbara. <laughs> Rocking around the Christmas tree. They're it the also tree. gave me like Three Amigos vibes because they like, oh, yeah. they yes. sewed all the costumes yes. and they all, so anyway. I just thought that was really fun. Oh, they said, oh, that's awesome. So after negotiating the trade of a couple of prisoners, Debouchard and his crew left without attacking Santa Barbara. And so December 16th, they headed down to their next target, which was the mission San Juan Capistrano, and then they went on to Mexico. So back in Santa Barbara. Okay. Everybody returns. Oh, Stop looking at my notes. I know. I got you. <laughs> don't read ahead. I know. Very don't nervous. sneak ahead. So back in Santa Barbara, everybody returns safely from solving, but Josefa could not get anyone to climb down into her well to retrieve her treasure from <laughs> under 25 feet of water in the well. <laughs> I'm not looking at okay. it. Okay. Uh, she uh, eventually remarried a man named Joseph Burke, and he tried to use grappling hooks to get the treasure out of the well. Yeah. I was picturing okay. her, like, you know, outdating and, like, basically Just finding like, the long, right man. How long are you? I have arms? a well. <laughs> You can, you can reach over there and get that You can me. win my hand in marriage by retrieving this treasure from my well. Yeah. Um, so they had a daughter, Magdalena. She married Thomas More, and he tried to retrieve the treasure, but he was also unsuccessful. He passed in 1881, and sometime after that, the well caved in, in and was well. abandoned. No. no, as far as I know, no. Aww. So Thomas and Magdalena had a daughter named Anna Josephine Burke, who married Hiram Pierce, and their son, Charles Pierce, was born in 1888. And in July 1969, Pierce recorded an interview with the local writer, Walter Tompkins. And in that interview, he talks about his great-grandmother's treasure. He said that he, when he was a kid, the old Burke Adobe, as it was called at that time, on Figueroa Street, became a Chinese laundry. And there were stables out in the back. And when the staff cleaned out the stables, just all of the manure and hay and whatever they swept up out of the stables, they just dumped it into the well for like years. So finally, the, what was left of the well is just covered in manure until it was, yeah, completely full. I don't like candlesticks that much. <laughs> <laughs> so for like his entire adult life, this Charles Pierce was trying to come up with a way to retrieve the treasure. But in 1969, when he recorded this interview, the city was preparing to build the parking garage that's next to the library now. Okay. So in this interview, he talked about trying to get like a septic tank contractor to come and dig out the well. Mm -hmm. He was trying to get like historians at UCSB to get interested and get involved <laughs> and like retrieve this. Uh, but he just, they, they couldn't rally anybody. Um, but one story said that a foundation pier for the garage was sunk right next to the well, even supposedly unearthing some of those stones from the creek that lined the well. Okay. Oh, so, distinctive stones. Okay, I'm with it yeah, now I for mean, that. You can I'm tell that for they're... The, the creek stones now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. If you needed me on board. I like it. <laughs> no, we're not on board of take, from taking. <laughs> no. We, we don't not want anymore. anyone taking creek <laughs> stones. So Pierce never got anybody to attempt to retrieve the treasure, and he passed in 1984. And as we know, oh. that parking garage is still there. <laughs> Wait, remind, remind me because I don't pay attention. Which parking garage? By, by the library. Oh, yeah. That one. And okay. so maybe with Josefa Dakota's treasure buried 60 feet below, right near the Faulkner Gallery. So uh, I wish I could tell you that Josefa's ghost haunts that parking garage still tell looking for her treasure. Just make it up. Okay. It's it fine. is so. Okay. That parking garage is haunted okay. by the ghost of Josefa Dakota trying to find her treasure. It's like, do uh, you have long arms? <laughs> even if it's not true, I'm just like, every time I go in that parking garage now, I'm going to think about like this ghost, especially at night. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's my story for tonight. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I had no idea about any of that. Yay. Yeah, it was a fun one to hey, uh, look into. Can we dig up that parking garage? And take a look, please. Okay, so Megan said City Lot 7. <laughs> near the library. So yeah. next time you go to the library, if you have really long arms, you can try to retrieve <laughs> the treasure. <laughs> Probably unlikely. A, uh, am I allowed to say this? There's like a secret room in the middle of the... Nope, not allowed to say that. It's a secret room. Maintenance office. <laughs> not a maintenance office. It's a ghost room. <laughs> <laughs> it's haunted, 100%. Okay, so next this evening, Jen is going to tell us her story that we are calling A Streetcar Named Expire. <laughs> Take it away, Jen. So uh, how many big streetcar fans do we have here tonight? <laughs> Am I allowed to participate? Oh, yeah. I like okay. a streetcar. Okay, cool. Nice. 
1875, the Santa Barbara Street Railway mule car system began as a single line of narrow gauge tracks running from Stern's Wharf. Which mule? Mule? Mule, car? yeah. Yes. Mule. What's a mule? Is it? It's the mule pulling the no, streetcar no, on a track. Is, is a mule like a cross between a horse and a... A horse and a donkey. Oh, right. Okay. I, I believe. Gotcha. Yes, so these were uh, streetcars pulled by mules on narrow gauge tracks. There was one single line at the beginning of the time of the streetcars. <laughs> 1875. Yes, uh, so Stern's Wharf was completed in 1872, and the first uh, Santa Barbara streetcar line ran from Stern's Wharf up State Street to the Arlington Hotel, which uh, took up five blocks what? on State yeah. Street. Are you it was kidding? massive. Like the same so size between, as these blocks? Yeah, so between Sola and Victoria Streets. Uh, it was Santa Barbara's first luxury hotel boasted three stories, was set back from the street with manicured gardens um, and a six-story observation tower what? that you could yeah. see the whole city sure, from. Sure I photos. just told someone it was in the same place as the Arlington Theater, and that was clearly a lie. It was near, it was near <laughs> okay. the Arlington Theater, okay. and then eventually the same family, I believe, or the same company built the Arlington Theater. The Arlington Hotel uh, did not want to exist. It burned down at one point and then they <laughs> the like re they fixed it and then the earthquake in 1925 <laughs> took it down and it was just, it didn't want to be there. It's doing good now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it was, like I said, Santa Barbara's first luxury hotel. So um, they helped fund the railway and that was like the kind of the, oh really? The big, okay. the big thing up there. So railway system came down here um, accidents were very rare during this time because they went quite slow because the mules <laughs> um, okay. In 1883, uh, the brakes failed on one of the mule cars, and the car jumped the tracks near State and Figueroa, but uh, they were going so slow that passengers just topped off, oh. and uh, and then it left the tracks and ended up hitting an awning near Cannon Perdido. Very slowly. What happened Very to the mule? It just kind of <laughs> no. rolled off. Uh, nobody was injured in that one. Not even the mule? The mule was fine. <laughs> You're really concerned about the mule? Yeah, yeah I don't care oh, about the mule. Wait. So, so uh, when electric streetcars took over and uh, they expanded the mule-drawn line, they eventually retired uh, all the mules, and there was a, a parade <gasps> to introduce oh. the new electric streetcars, and like the pride mule of the mule system uh, got to ride on a flat no, car. Oh, I love I that. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> he was like, I was scared. He was parading. He was super excited. He paraded to the slaughterhouse. I know. <laughs> oh. No, they they went to a farm. It was like a ranch oh, yeah. okay. for okay. mules. <laughs> and they're all still there, living happily. That's what happens to all the animals. That was excellent banter. <laughs> so the new Citizens Railway ran until 1929 when automobiles became more commonplace and people didn't want railways anymore. Um, but the expansion that happened uh, with the electric streetcars created extensions northwest and northeast of the Arlington Hotel and then west along the harbor. I'm so I'm sorry to interrupt. I don't even know what direction that is. I'm so, in this town and then like also. <laughs> Yeah, All right, it's thank it's you. North east, north <laughs> thank you, audience I member, with good so direction. <laughs> Where's your compass? <laughs> Ask the magic eight ball which direction You're it is. supposed to say yes and. <laughs> so in 1890s, oh, here's a quick thing that I didn't actually completely research, but it sounded interesting. <laughs> but a consolidated electric company oh. uh, who I'm going to tell you a little more about, apparently uh, eventually built the first Los Baños del Mar uh, bathhouse and it was like the hot place to hang out in the city. They had a second story hmm. uh, band shell similar mm -hmm. to the band shell that uh, is now being refurbished re I guess by the city Polished uh, up. but also was like a hot thing back on Sundays they had uh, performances there but there was a bowling alley in the original bathhouse oh, what? Uh, why didn't they bring they this had a back? pleasure pier <laughs> yeah. that What's had that? like rides and like Santa Monica pier yeah 
Oh. It looked really fancy. It sounded fancy. more salacious. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so the the company that managed the electric rail car system uh, funded that because huh. I guess they oh, really? wanted more people to ride their rail cars to get there. Oh, cool. So, but in 1896, Consolidated Electric Company was given permission to erect the electric lines to convert all the mule cars. Um, but the, the current mule line owners were not going out that easy they decided to bid for the electric lines also and the city erect (laughs) i'm just gonna say it a lot um (laughs) so the city council awarded them the right to i have string but i'm gonna say erect lines as well (laughs) sorry we have the humor of 12 year old boys And a battle <laughs> broke out along the highly coveted State Street with workers trying to lay their own lines by day and dig out each other's lines at night. That's <laughs> amazing. Do you want me to just talk oh, more about laying the lines? Or so the why did the workers <laughs> care, though? I never understand that. Like, why did they? What? I think they were just really invested in just into it. (laughs) Not doing anything else. I mean, look at how excited these people are about streetcars. They're not that excited. They they promised at the beginning that they were really into streetcars. So anyways, uh, eventually the uh, consolidated bought out the mule lines and the conversion to electric streetcars was completed. Uh, So that kind of put an end to the drama. They said, how about we just pay you and we'll take over? And they were like, great, we'll take our mules and go home. So the Santa Barbara Street Railway extended again all the way up to the Mission this time and eventually all the way up to Cottage Hospital. The electric streetcars traveled faster than the mules. I don't know why I felt like I needed to say that. It seems pretty obvious. Uh, Because of this, accidents were more frequent. However, there was only ever one streetcar fatality recorded in Santa Barbara. And it happened on Easter Sunday, April 10th, 1904. Oh, yeah? You going to tell us about it? No, I'm done. I don't know. (laughs) Great story. I've been for a while. Um, If you would like to know more about it, with the expanding railway system bringing more tourists and profits, uh, there was continued pressure for growth of the railway system. And with their eyes on opening a new line connecting Santa Barbara and Carpinteria, uh, two new larger cars had been recently purchased and their standard gauge fittings were retrofitted to work on the narrow gauge tracks. Uh, (laughs) One of those was car number 16. It had been recently added to the route that took passengers to and from the mission. So you can imagine Easter Sunday is a pretty high traffic day at the mission. Yeah. And just as service ended, car number 16 rolled up. Now, these two new cars were larger and therefore designed to hold about 48 passengers. However, over 120 churchgoers crowded on board that morning, anxious to get home to hide their eggs. So these are open-sided streetcars. So think like, you know, trolleys in San Francisco where you can just hang on to the sides. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe they were at least open in some places, but there was also a ton of people crowded Mm -hmm. inside. So... uh, as number 16 started down Laguna Hill, because of all the extra weight, it was unable to make its first stop and started picking up speed as it headed toward the turn onto oh, Mission no. Street. Yikes. This is amazing. <laughs> the driver of the streetcar, Victor Kelton, and his conductor used both their sets of brakes to try and get a handle on the extra weight and the speed of the car, and passengers clung to each other as they barely made that first turn. <laughs> As they headed towards the sharp turn at Mission and Garden, Mr. Kelton threw it in reverse, hoping to slow it even further. The passengers on the outside of the car leapt from the moving vehicle, breaking bones and (gasps) scraping along the street. Oh, my God. Then the number 16 car jumped the tracks at Garden, tipping to its side and sliding down the street, shooting (laughs) sparks into the air until it crashed into an electric pole. Residents came rushing from their homes using anything they could find to try and cut through the metal to rescue the passengers. Four people had been crushed to death underneath the streetcar, and another died later at the hospital from their injuries. Shockingly, only 30 other passengers were hurt, with only 17 sustaining serious injuries. Wait, didn't you say there's only one recorded fatality? <laughs> we before this? Or like... Oh, before this. Or Got with it. the mules. No, you don't have to scroll back. That's okay. <laughs> Oh, yes, no, she I'm does. Scroll up. She's been sassing me the whole time. <laughs> Give her work. Let me see. What did I maybe say? Maybe I said before this. Yeah, maybe. I think I said only. Or maybe one it was one fatal, fatal event. Maybe that was it. Okay, sorry. There was 
Oh, Only okay. ever one streetcar fatality. Oh, we just misunderstood okay. that. See, I we was just expecting one, one person. person to die. Yeah. Okay, Not, so, but it was uh, a whole car. There was only ever, <laughs> oh only ever w- one event relate that caused <laughs> it's okay. four, no, it's fine. Fa- five fatalities? It's yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyways. Just clarifying. Um, So it was later determined that a broken casing had caused the front brakes to fail. What's that? Uh, Sausage casing. Something. (laughs) Yes, definitely a sausage casing. Would it be like wire casing? Probably. The sass. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, but because of this crash, so it wasn't actually. I mean, it was related to the extra people and the extra weight. Yeah. Okay. But it was a failure of the brake part that caused the actual uh, crash. Okay. So because of this, the larger cars were no longer used on that steep mission route. Car number 16 <laughs> was repaired and <gasps> renamed car number 19. No. Oh so God. people Back would be scared service. to ride. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I put here, <laughs> but no matter what number they gave it, it will always be a street car named Expire. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, my gosh. That was so awesome. good. Oh. I didn't know anything about this. Yeah, no, I, me neither. Yeah, <laughs> thank <job>. you. <laughs> there is um, there's a streetcar like, uh, the last streetcar stop up by oh Orpit Park, I think up on no really the Riviera, but it's like super boring. There's none of this stuff. There's no like sparks and death and sliding. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe we can add that in. Again, <laughs> the sass. <laughs> I do miss the the little trolleys that used to go along. Yeah, here. yeah. no mules though. So the the mule lines went in in 1875. Did you say? You don't the have to. The mule 1875 was the the mule car system began. Okay. And then the uh, action movie fatality thing was like 1904. Was 1904. Okay. Let me scroll down. Just in case I get tested on it later. Yeah, there will be a quiz no later. Reason. So no reason. Take notes. Um, yeah, so that's my story. Nice. And uh, now we're going to pass it over to Summers, and Hi. she is going to tell us about the pointless and awful State Street murder of Theodore Glancy by the annoying jerk Clarence Gray. I am. <laughs> and that my subtitle is, or when Santa Barbara was basically the Wild West, especially if you were the editor of a newspaper. Today I'm going to tell you about a State Street murder and give you some points about how being a reporter has always been pretty badass, but it was especially impressive and dangerous in the earliest days of the city of Santa Barbara's history. One of Santa Barbara's first newspapers, okay, this is annoying to have to remember, but uh, you remember (laughs) the news press, and that was made of two papers, the news and the press. Okay. And so the original newspaper in Santa Barbara was called The Post, and then that became The Press, and that's the one we're gonna talk about today. And that is going to be confusing because you might think I'm like just talking about the media, but it's oh, the, the name of a paper, Got the it. Santa okay. Barbara Press. So the Capital Press. Yes. Okay. The Press. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So the Press was specifically a Republican newspaper, which I don't think meant the same thing as now, but so don't freak out. But so from that, we know that Republican candidates for office in Santa Barbara would have expected the support of their paper. Mm-hmm. And that will be important later. Okay, so in case you're thinking life as a newspaper man nearly 150 years ago was like anything like being a journalist now, not that we really know what being a journalist is like, but you know, um, so like, let me just stop you because it's not like that. Running a newspaper back then was super dangerous and you had to put your money where your mouth was with your opinions a lot and like I would hate to have to do that. Um, it sounds terrifying to have to defend your opinions when you're in a town full of angry gunslingers, which that's what Santa Barbara was like. So State Street was at this time, this is um, like 1880s and mm-hmm. 1870s. And, um, so pre-mule cars. I just, I just, I said 70s and then my brain just filled with like disco on State Street and like I had to stop. <laughs> yeah, it was Gunslinger disco. It was discos. a good picture. It was such a good picture. So it was all dirt, right? And then on the sidewalks, it was 12 feet of just like wood planks right uh, oh yeah and, uh, yeah I, I at read that a time bit about that um and your Ar- your arlington hotel that's the reason that state street got i should move my mic when i move my head yes thanks <laughs> that's why state street got paved because the people in the hotel wanted to be able to just go to the ocean oh okay. it's really far though i wouldn't like that as a hotel. to like walk you mean yeah yeah or take a mule car i don't know <laughs> Actually, yeah, a mule car by mm-hmm. the time it was paved. Anyway, but at the time we're talking about, it was 
dirt, dusty road. Like seriously, gunslingery. Can I do a quick aside? So yeah. when they paved the roads, mm-hmm. uh, they paved directly over the the old lines. Oh and yeah. And so now, when they repair some of the streets, even still, if they dig down far enough, they'll they'll unearth they'll some see the of lines. the original oh, lines. Oh, cool. Yeah. The mules from the parade are down there. <laughs> Um, that was that's an interesting fact. Okay, where was I? So dirt road, town full of angry gunslingers on a dirt road. I guess I felt like that was important to tell you that the gunslingers. And it turns out that was what Santa Barbara was at the time. Like here's an example of what could happen and did happen here in the 1870s. One of the editors of the Santa Barbara Press at that time. Okay, there was only one, but like I'm talking about two of them today, so that's why I said one. So the editor. <laughs> at the time of the Santa Barbara Press, printed something disparaging about Santa Barbara's district attorney at the time, W.T. Wilson, and the district attorney horsewhipped him down State Street and basically left him to die. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. He didn't die, um, but he was, quote-unquote, insensible for a bit. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, I am done being this newspaper editor. Yeah. So I think it was better in other places. Santa Barbara was just, like, particularly rough for I, newspaper I've heard editors. that during that time, Santa Barbara was well-known as, like, being the, like, super dangerous town opinions and violence (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) wow so it seems smart of him that he got out of town but and let me just i'm gonna skip back a little bit for your reference um if you're like me and you didn't know exactly what horse whipping is (laughs) it's when you get a whip that you'd use on a horse and then you just sort of like whip a person (laughs) that you're mad at (laughs) while you chase them down the street and it was a thing. That and sounds terrible. I know. It sounds terrible, but also, like, it would be kind of fun to bring it back if we no, were, like... No. Like, <laughs> like, if it was pretend and it was just, like, a, you know... That sounds like a no. bad idea all around. I no. knew that you would not support me in this. I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't support this Ritualistic? entry in the next Fiesta Parade. <laughs> I was actually thinking Fiesta because it's sort of a similar situation of, like, I mean, St. Barbara. I still feel like we need to do a more accurate portrayal of St. Barbara, but... With horse whips. She could horse whip people. Come on. (laughs) The last El Presidente has to be horse I'm going to (laughs) stop. I don't think horse whipping and beheadings are quite the vibe. Someone in a building around here like someone is insulting Fiesta. (laughs) Get her. (laughs) Anyway, it seems like horse whipping was like a super popular thing on State Street. (laughs) Specifically State Street. And that, I mean, I don't know. And then this is where I wrote about how I thought it would be a good idea to bring it back. But I'm not going into it now. (laughs) I'm sorry. I feel unsupported. So... Let's get let's get back to the tragic hero of our story because it has a tragic hero. So there was a new man on the scene in Santa Barbara. Since remember the horse whipped editor had skipped town and was insensible. <laughs> imagine oh, imagine that the, they get to the part of the interview. Do you have any questions for us? Yeah, why did the last guy leave? Yes. <laughs> just awkward uh, silence. Not a good no reason. He just retired. <laughs> That's why I left my last job. Okay. Um, the not a good fit, not the horse whipping. Okay, so the Santa Barbara Press's brand new editor, Theodore Glancy, absorbed that name because he's a great dude. The Santa Barbara Press had just been sold by W.W. Hollister, famed person we name streets after, and the new owner was John P. Stearns, famed person we name wharves after, and Stearns found Theodore M. Glancy, his new editor, and brought him to Santa Barbara. Glancy was born in Illinois. He enlisted. Do you ever notice your mouth noises when you're doing this? Yes. Like, mm, okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> that's terrible. Glancy was born in Illinois, and he enlisted in the Union Army <laughs> when the Civil War started in 1861. And he was described as a man of nerve and true to his convictions. He was a man of liberal education with legal training and just views of matters in general. He was polite and urbane in manner. And if anyone knows what urbane means, you can have a magic eight ball. Want to tell me? Any takers? Any takers? Nope. Urbane. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, I have no idea. I just Courteous like... and refined in manner, typically used of a, oh, of a man. What? I just copied and pasted that. That's terrible. <laughs> Congrats. Well, I mean, so ladies can't wanna... be urbane? I guess not. Hmm. Rude. Uh, nobody knows what it means, so it's okay. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks for participating. (laughs) So Glancy came to California from Illinois in uh, 1873, and he started out in Los Angeles, where he was editor of the Los Angeles Herald. And in 1880, or fateful year, he moved to Santa Barbara to take over the press. He had a wife and children, but they weren't with him in Santa Barbara or California, as far as I can tell, and I'm not sure why. 
but they were like a loving family and he was missing them. They just hadn't made it here yet. I don't know. Consider Glancy like our white hat cowboy hero in our real life State Street Western movie. Upstanding Civil War veteran, committed family man, uh, missing his loved one ones just had one and a principled newspaper editor and okay cool thing and unexpectedly there's one more thing about him that's like maybe not relevant but i want to talk about it anyway so glancy was also a spiritualist yes which is <laughs> nobody else is excited about that except us, but we are excited. really excited about it so it's exciting to us on the podcast because we covered spiritualism in episode two summerland and the big yellow house uh liz so you said in that episode summerland hadn't been founded in 1880 it was like 1883 yeah okay i think so and uh so it's a little bit of a tangent but um we like this yeah thanks (laughs) thank you i do feel supported again but i thought it was interesting that we've got glancy living in this area as a spiritualist before summerland was founded yeah um because i kind of always thought spiritualism was like kind of a niche thing and just like maybe some famous people and then we know about it because we live right by a place that used to like be founded is it but is this not it like spiritualism was a huge deal around this time to review spiritualism is a religion where you believe people have souls or spirits like ghosts and those persist after death and you can contact them and talk to them um so seances are like a spiritualist invention yeah i just always thought it was a smaller group that we only knew about, you know, because of like... I can't remember the, the percentage that we talked about. I, ha- I have it for you. Ah, okay. okay. I feel like I have concerns about the editor of the newspaper thinking that he can talk to ghosts. <laughs> it's no different than any other religion, though, like, right? <laughs> Controversial opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Alienating all of the guests. I don't want to be smited. <laughs> Sorry, go on. In the middle of town. <laughs> Just horse with Jen down the street. <laughs> See, it would be good. I really think it would be a good festival. No, no. I, I'm still not on board. Okay. All right. It would still be better than Fiesta. I don't, I don't, I don't have confidence. <laughs> That's a popular that joke. I'm happy about that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sorry, Jen. I talked right over no, you. I was, was just like... going to say, I don't feel confident enough in my uh, life choices that, that, that horse whipping could be on the table as a form of punishment in my life. <laughs> but see, I'm thinking it wouldn't be a real horse whip. It would like maybe just be made of like terry cloth or something like and then the little ribbon dancer horse thing. whipping yeah. cosplay yeah larping yeah <laughs> totally yeah yeah <laughs> yes like the ivy foot patrol in your our last oh no <laughs> halloween episode. wooden swords a little in joke for us only okay so um spiritualism was really big between the 1840s and the 1920s and I wish I could have found you statistics on how many people were spiritualists in 1880 when we're talking about it. But I can tell you that 17 years later, in 1897, around 8 million Americans were spiritualists. And that is more than 10% of the population that's, of the yeah. United States. And, like, that's a lot, right? It's a lot. Yeah. Super yeah. a lot. And, um, like, for context, the Church of Latter-day Saints is, like, 1.8% or something. So, like, oh. if you think about, like, how many... Like, the percent, yeah, the percentage yeah. of the population, that's mm-hmm. wild. Since we released episode two uh, a couple months ago, I went to the Winchester Mystery House, and the tour I went on was, like, all spiritualism, all the time content, because the owner and architect of the house, Mary Winchester, was very into contacting the dead because her husband and children were dead. And that is important because spiritualism was big in the post-Civil War era because so many families had lost sons and fathers, and they wanted to be able to talk to them. And then the other thing which I thought was so interesting and kind of logical, like, go with me on this, the telephone had just been invented. And so it was so foreign to people to be able to talk to someone that they couldn't see like across yeah. the country, right? And so it's really only a tiny little, you're pretending that I haven't told you this three times already. <laughs> That's like, okay. Um, <laughs> it's just a little step between like someone across the country that you can't see to like speak to the dead. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah. I well, think- and like when you told me that, I was. Uh, I just imagine, like, you're hearing, like, the little whispers of other oh, conversations yeah, yeah. happening over the line. Like, yes. I don't know. That's just the way I imagine Yeah. phone calls at that time. So, like, you're like, oh, was that a ghost? I think that was the concept, that it was just, like, a very similar thing. And it was so different yeah. to be able to talk to people that anything seemed possible. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Let's do another one. Does anyone know what the original phone greeting was going to be? Ahoy, ahoy. You can't play. <laughs> you get a magic eight ball. <laughs> <laughs> Ahoy, ahoy, yeah. 
<laughs> you already won one. Oh, yeah, I don't You're the star people. Star <laughs> you can learn more about spiritualism in episode two, as I've said five times, and that's the end of the connection to spiritualism, sort of, in this story. I just really wanted to talk about it because I think it's cool. <laughs> I do think it's interesting also, just context, that our, our editor did believe in spiritualism and not because it's particularly weirder than any other religion but it just he had those beliefs and another thing that was really helpful was because there were so many spiritualists and they were kind of like all all friends there was another spiritualist person caroline wells healy dal so a lot of times when we have we like quotes from women in history mm -hmm. They're like Mrs. George. Mrs. So yeah, so, like, yeah. yeah and just so the husband's name. I was really pleased at first that we had a whole name, and then I was like, but there's four, and that's annoying. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But it's a better thing than just like Mrs. Mrs. Jones, or especially when it's like a husband's first yeah, name. Exactly. That's so irritating. <laughs> like, <sighs> All right. Caroline Wells Healy Dow wrote and published a book called My First Holiday or Letters from Home from Colorado, Utah. In California, and it was basically just her diaries, and she was like, oh, "I will publish this as a book," and it's <laughs> so dry. But uh, because she had a connection to Santa Barbara and she was a spiritualist, she had a special interest in the events that I'm about to tell you about, and she wrote a lot about it in her book. And her book is still available; it's on Google Books, even. Um, but yeah, oh, oh my gosh, it's so dry, and we'll put a link to it, but maybe don't bother um, on our website. <laughs> and our website is ghoulsguidetosb.com. Yes. You thought I was going to mess it up. No. Nope. And, and if you don't all subscribe to our podcast, would you please do it right now? <laughs> because it really helps us and we're doing it all, you know, in our free time and we love it so much. So back to the dusty Wild West looking State Street of 1880. So we've had our white hat hero, but our black hat bad guy had been kicking around in Santa Barbara since 1870. Okay. Pre-mule. Tell us his name again. I'm, I'm getting to it. Okay, sorry. No, it's right now. I didn't need to sass you at all. Um, and it's like, he's so interesting as a person, but I also really hated him when I started reading about him. His name is Clarence Gray. He was the worst person, but it might have been a fake name, but he was known around town as Clarence Gray. So we'll stick with that. Okay. So he's from back east uh, and like sort of Pennsylvania. And so it wasn't long before, like after he arrived in Santa Barbara, that he started to raise hell and violently irritate the populace. So you looked at me like I was doing something wrong. No, you keep looking at me like uh, like me looking I'm at like, you is annoying. Please interrupt me and make a joke. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just watching Liz's hair sparkle in the light. Yeah, that's nice. So I don't know exactly what he did to immediately anger the clergy in town, but Clarence created something, and one of the Catholic priests here told him off for it. And you'd, I would think that Are even they if allowed you, to do that? Was yeah, it like a very speak words. Very yes. polite. He like quoted a very saucy <laughs> psalm at him. No, they were allowed to tell you that you were sinning. I mean, that's their whole job, right? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I'm trying not to oh, get yeah. smoke out here. <laughs> this was all right. So, um, so I would think, and I don't know, but at the time, like. If you didn't care about the opinion of a priest, you'd probably just be like, okay, priest, and then, like, not be near the priest. But no, Clarence Gray beat the priest <gasps> no. until he was unconscious I'm... and then left him for dead. What? I'm just pretty not sure see you're that not coming. supposed to do that. <laughs> that surprised me. So part of my favorite thing about this podcast is making you laugh and be shocked with me. <laughs> oh, yay, I win. So the punishment for doing the priest beating and leaving for dead was $20 fine. No. It's a $20 <laughs> job. Yeah. That's like a, that's like a, yeah, really. like pay to play. Just like, oh, 20 bucks, I can beat someone up. Pay to play. <laughs> okay. So $20, $450 in today's money. So it's like, that's I mean, it's it's just like a parking ticket. Well, it was a little, right? Not parking ticket. <laughs> Sorry. A speeding ticket. We'll edit that out. No. It's just like a speeding ticket plus a little. <laughs> After Clarence Gray was charged with assaulting the priest, the press newspaper, remember them, wrote about it, and the article noted that Gray was just a jerk, and if he got mad, he'd pull a gun on you, and mm. they were like, just, he's awful, yeah. and like, this guy is, ugh. He so was just the worst. So obviously he was a cowboy with a mustache. <laughs> No, he was really clean cut. He was nice. Oh, nice looking, I guess. <laughs> like uh, Laura's husband in Little House. Um, so, no, nobody got that okay. one. Okay, so the article came out, and then the next, the next day, the offices of the press went up in flames. <gasps> wow. And, like, almost completely burned down, but didn't burn down. And it's, so I just think that's such a bold move on his part. Yeah. Um, I have a really hard time with it. Okay, if somebody tells you something, and they expect you to believe it, but it's an unbelievable thing that, like, no person would ever believe, it 
really messes with my worldview and makes me incredibly angry and upset. And so I was really mad at this guy for doing that because, like, he just pretended he didn't do it. And he's like, oh. um, just the day after that article that came out about me yeah. shooting people up all the time. <laughs> just denial. So the rest of Santa Barbara was mad about it, too, though. And they were like, well, of course he did that. And we should, like, we're just going to be mean to him until he leaves. Um, because so they the, were more mad that he burned the press building down and then he beat up a priest? <laughs> oh, for sure. Because, <laughs> like, no, that's a good question. But at the at the time, the people of Santa Barbara were pretty proud of their local newspaper mm. at the time. So our old-timey Santa Barbarans made it pretty clear Gray wasn't welcome in town, so he left town. Which would have been such a nice place to end this story. <laughs> Although I'm less nervous now, so I'm doing better. Thanks for sticking with me. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, a few years later, Clarence Gray, annoying jerk, comes back to Santa Barbara. And he decides this time to run for district attorney. <laughs> so remember before the district attorney did some horse whipping? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So like district attorney was, I guess, just for thugs. I don't know. Well, yeah, like did you have to be a lawyer? <laughs> like, were no. there any qualifications? You just You're just like, be I'll be the DA now. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't look that okay. up either. I I'm just assumed. curious. Maybe he but, left town and went and got a degree. In there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he wasn't even, it wasn't even his own name. So maybe he just like, oh, is, that's true. is at home like writing one. Like, yeah. Hey guys, <laughs> look at this degree. I'm There's someone else's name just crossed off and he wrote his over it. He decides to run for district attorney as a Republican, which if you remember earlier is important because the Santa Barbara Press was a Republican paper. So a Republican candidate for local office is going to expect the support. So it's just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you burn down their building. That's true. Oh, true. Mm -hmm. But he said he didn't do it. So he's just going to get mad. Um, You know, it was logical for him to expect the support of the newspaper's editorial staff. So in Walker A. Tompkins's book, It Happened in Old Santa Barbara, there's a bit about there's a bit about how there was a hoodlum, hoodlum, hoodlum element, hoodlum element in Santa Barbara at the time, which I would love to know more about and I'd love to tell you more about. But I have gone off on one tangent already and we only have a half an hour left. I'll have to try to find a way to talk about it in a future episode. Okay. I just think it was so interesting. But the idea was there were so many criminals in Santa Barbara, like you said, Who in knew? 1880, <laughs> that they could and would vote together and swing a whole <gasps> local election. So they were in so, charge. So the, the hoodlums were a whole political party? <laughs> yeah. It was like a loose association. I don't know, like pirates or something. It was, yeah, it, it wasn't a party. <laughs> they were, but they would just like get together and be like, let's do this. And, wow. and they'd do it. Yeah, they could swing a local election just with their votes. So Clarence Gray was gonna win district attorney. Like he was gonna win that because he had the vote of the hoodlum contingent. Even without the endorsement from the paper. Oh, yeah, Yeah. for sure. It did not matter. But he still wanted it because he's a jerk. And so (laughs) our upstanding newspaper editor, Theodore Glancy, was really mad. He was like, he shouldn't have been nominated even. This is not a thing that should have happened. Mm -hmm. And um, Glancy felt the same way about Clarence Gray as I do, and I hope all of you do. (laughs) He just could not stand him, and he had no patience for him, and he was also, like, outraged that his new hometown was going to be influenced by this man. Yeah. And, like damaged by his ascendance into like a really high level position so being the newspaper editor theodore glancy was he just trash talked gray in an editorial and like something happened the state of california just decided like santa barbara doesn't need a da election so don't worry about it what? but i know it was weird but <laughs> okay. um like for that year so, but even so theodore glancy was just like no and he went off on gray in the santa barbara press and glancy's editorial called gray a criminal a hoodlum Hoodlum? I cannot. Is it Hoodlum or Hoodlum? Okay. okay. And said Gray's nomination was a disgrace in the first place. Just that it had even happened. Yeah. And then he said Clarence Gray wasn't even named Clarence Gray. (laughs) She doesn't even go here. And then Glancy said that the man everyone knew as Clarence Gray was really an outlaw from Pennsylvania whose real name was Patrick McGinnis. But so this was really brave of, of our newspaper editor, Glancy, right? Like, yeah. you know, he knew like newspaper men in Santa Barbara and the clergy and pretty much everyone were at risk all the time here because it was the Wild West. Yeah. Being horse whipped, as I said, was kind of normal. And we've heard about two people being beaten up and left for dead so far. And so Glancy wasn't just anonymously and safely like making a sassy political tweet. He knew there was going to be like a consequence. <laughs> And um, and he pretty clearly knew that the person he was taking on was a dangerous and unhinged and deeply irritating and volatile man. <laughs> 
But Glancy published his views anyway in a paper that was expected to support Republican candidates, and I just found that very impressive, and he's my hero right now. So the day the press published Glancy's editorial, Clarence Gray freaked out about it, <laughs> and I bet that was pretty epic to watch. And he went to talk to John P. Stearns, who, remember, owned the newspaper. <laughs> right. Gray tried to intimidate Stearns, but Stearns was like, okay, I wrote it. Because he was in there asking, like, who wrote it? And he was like, oh, it was okay. me. You're the mm-hmm. worst. And so Gray couldn't handle that, I guess. Just, I mean, Stearns was like a wealthy person and, I don't know, more intimidating. Hmm. So he's like, oh, okay, and left. <laughs> and didn't pursue it further. But he knew that editorials are written by editors. So, like, he knew that Stearns didn't do it. And he, you know, he was upset about all the stuff that had been written about him being the worst and yeah. also secretly an outlaw living under an assumed name. <laughs> so the next evening... And this is where we're on State Street now. Not here, but in the story, we're on State Street. A little ways down. We're here, too. Clarence Gray went out looking for Theodore Glancy, and he found him. So this is where the showdown happens. Wait, so they didn't make a plan to meet at high noon? <laughs> no. <laughs> Darn. I don't know what time it happened, though, and now I feel inadequately prepared. <laughs> Let's just high pretend no- it was high noon. because What it is fits. high noon? Is it, like, different than noon noon? So this happened two blocks that way on the corner of State and Coda. Please say that's two blocks that way. I looked on a map. I think so, yeah. I think it is. In front of a very <laughs> fancy-looking establishment that was there at the time called the Occidental Hotel. So Gray went up to Glancy outside the Occidental, and we'll put some pictures on our website too. This is according to Tompkins again, and it sounds pretty stilted, but um, Gray went up to Glancy. I don't know if people talk this way, but Gray says, did you write the article that assailed my good name? And Glancy's like, yes, you are the worst. And he just does not care about Gray at all. And he doesn't think he's deserving of his attention in any way. Like in any way. Mm-hmm. And he knows that he like pulls guns on people when yeah. he's upset. And beats up priests. Yeah, it was amazing. So I just enjoyed it so much that he was just like, whatever. And so he walks away from Gray. But as was Gray's way, he got his gun out. Uh-huh. And he pointed it at Glancy. Glancy, a badass, grabs him and wrestles him to the ground. <laughs> he pins him to the 12-foot wooden sidewalk, uh-huh. uh, which is why it was important, on the side of State Street. And then he sasses him, and he goes, you shall not draw a revolver on me. You see I'm not armed. So he's calling him a coward and, like, a dishonorable person and whatever. I don't think that's how they talked, but... I <laughs> Maybe. Don't, I don't know. I guess it could be. Uh, just offended people are more better spoken than I am. <laughs> So calling Gray's honor into it and like calling him unsporting and it's just fantastic shade and I loved it. So Gray is incredibly (laughs) mad. He's so mad because it's like getting to the core of him. He's so insecure and terrible. And Glancy gets up again and he walks away again. And a bystander on State Street was just like, oh, I will. I will wrestle the other man with the gun to the ground. I'll take care of it. You keep going. And uh, and that's when Gray gets free and he shoots Theodore Glancy. Oh, no. And the bullet went through Glancy's hand. And through his hip and out the other side. And I'm not going to talk about it more because it's awful. And But he doesn't die right away there. And he veers away from the Occidental Hotel and he keeps walking. He keeps walking. Uh-huh. So he shot For him as he block. was walking away? Yeah. <gasps> I know. Not in the back, though. In the hip. I mean, it's a <laughs> sideways. So he's walking while mortally wounded. And he makes it a whole block. Again, mm-hmm. very badass. But so sad. Um, He makes it to the corner of Haley and State, and there's another hotel there that's called the Morris House. And I have no idea why he went to that one instead of just going into the one he was next to. But, like, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he knew somebody there. So he staggers inside, and the hotel staff do their best to take care of him in the lobby. And then they send for two local doctors, Dr. Bates and Dr. Winchester, which sound like Sam and Dean from Supernatural. (laughs) And they're good, solid names. And the doctors work together and examine our wounded hero, and they just know he can't survive it. Like, the bullet just tore through him. Mm -hmm. And so they just tell him, like, we can't save you, and this is hopeless, and you're going to die. And so the two doctors later said that what Glancy said back to them when they let him know he was going to die was, I die for a principle and would not go back on it if I could. Again, wow. don't think that's a direct quote. But but then there's a sadder, but also slightly like weird, and I would like people's opinions on this quote attributed to Glancy as he died, which is, I am dying without seeing my dear little wife girl. <laughs> and I mean, it's probably a figure of speech, but it just right. gave me the ick a little bit. I don't know, right? <laughs> so Glancy stayed inside the Morris House Hotel down on Haley and suffering and conscious and then he died a few hours later. Wow. And I hate that. I hate it. Yeah. So they he, never, the doctor showed up, but they never like took him to the hospital or anything? No, they just no. couldn't help him. They were like, they were just like he's done for. <laughs> and I think at the time there wasn't a hospital. I think it was like oh, cottage okay. hospital, which meant like 
some was a cottage loosely uh-huh. trained yeah like loosely trained nurses and yeah do you know what happened to uh the bad guy I do. Oh, you you want to know? Yeah. I didn't want to tell you. Because <laughs> oh, he's such a jerk. It's not but good. No, no, I, no, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so as much as I hate the other guy, uh-huh. let's get back to stupid Clarence Gray, who, by the way, after he fatally shot Theodore Glancy, like just through the hip and he's walking down the street still to get to Haley, he didn't give up and just let him die in peace. He followed him and tried oh. to shoot him again. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Like, how irritating <laughs> is that? That's more than irritating. I know, but it's like also irritating. Yes, it oh, is. God. It's so punchable. But people were trying to disarm him the whole way, and it doesn't seem like he was successful with the attempted extra bullets, so I'm pleased about that. And he was arrested right away, and although the mysterious hoodlum element in Santa Barbara (laughs) totally defended him, and they were like, well, I mean, they made sense what he did. Gray was put on trial, and he pleaded not guilty, (laughs) even though it had come out since then that everybody around town had seen him all over town, Uh drunk. The day before, telling everybody that John P. Stearns and Theodore Glancy must die before nightfall. Oh, wow. <laughs> but he didn't but it do it. Wasn't him. He didn't yeah. do it. He didn't burn down the, yeah. the newspaper. <laughs> oh, it's just so dramatic, and it is the worst. So he was tried three times, and one of them remains a Supreme Court precedent. Oh. Again, irritating. So first there was a hung jury. Mm-hmm. Then he was found guilty. But the Supreme Court case that challenged this was because the jury was drunk (laughs) while deliberating. Like the court Uh, delivered like barrels of beer to them and while they were deliberating. And I don't don't know. Well, maybe Uh, a lot more people would sign up for jury duty if they were getting free drinks. No, because the Supreme Court says you can't do it. So that got got overturned. And um, I'm not as surprised now to know that Santa Barbara was such a terrible place full of violence and stuff. When <laughs> this was the, the recourse for it. Right. The legal procedures. The guilty verdict was overturned because of the <laughs> because of the drunkenness. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, the third murder trial, Clarence Gray was found not guilty. Wow. And then he disappeared from history, which I am so pleased about because I never want to hear a single <laughs> other thing about him again. Are we um, guessing he just like changed his name? Oh yeah, probably went back. Go. He's like, I am Red Patrick McGinnis again. Yeah, <laughs> and, like when uh, caused else. trouble somewhere else. <laughs> oh gosh. So on this podcast, we do love it when we can tell you about spooky things. And my story didn't really have that mm. many spooky things. I just shoehorned the spiritualism <laughs> in. So like haunted places, and there is not a ghost story that we could find associated with the State Street murder of Thomas Glancy. But maybe it would be nice if we made one up. <laughs> Yes. Because Glancy believed that people have spirits and that he would be a ghost. And he wanted that. And he wanted to be contacted. (laughs) And it seems like maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to wish ghosthood. Is that? I don't know what the word was. Ghostiness. (laughs) Ghost formation. Onto him. Like, onto our fine, upstanding newspaper editor of 150 years ago. um, Who we don't even really remember in this town. But, I mean, every topic that we cover, we're like, why isn't there a monument to this? (laughs) Why doesn't anybody know about this? I know. So, maybe we can convince you to start believing in a ghost. Or maybe a few ghosts. (laughs) Glancy, his wife, and their children may be haunting the spot where Glancy died or the spot where he was shot. Oh, I, I thought you were going to like invite everybody to do a seance, and I was like, we did not talk about that for this show. So Liz's thing is that, like, Ouija boards are not allowed near her. I know. I'm like, I'm even, Jen's hat is questionable for me. Yeah. No, but that would have been a great I, I idea. I have a Ouija board right here, Liz. I quit. So if we did a seance, not today. But, like, <laughs> would you come to it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'll be hiding in the other, in the next room. Right. Right. <laughs> we have a fan. I know. I'm so pleased. I'm right. more I will the, make it the book club speed than the seance club. Yeah, we also have thought about doing a book club, but that's, I don't know, work. So, like, contacting the dead isn't work. I don't know. Um, so, I was getting sentimental. I'm sorry. Like the ghosts of, you know, him and his yeah. little wife girl whatever, <laughs> and their kids. Um, uh-huh. I'm sure it's just a figure of speech. I like hope so. Mother or whatever. Oh. <laughs> you can't be in a room with. Um, you know, and he died before he could see them. And so, I don't know. Yeah. Um, wishing that he could see them before he moved on to what he believed would be just another plane of existence. 
And if you do want to join us in wishing for a nice, happy, ghostly afterlife for Theodore Glancy and his family, the two locations that he could be at, we're going to wish him there, are Hotel Santa Barbara oh, or okay. the Starbucks. We used to go to that Starbucks all the time. Uh-huh. The Coda Bucks. <laughs> Coda Bucks. Coda Bucks. <laughs> so um, that one or the Cruisery. Oh. So those were the two places that the hotels were. Cool. Um, so that's it. That's my story. Wow. Thanks, Summers. Yay. That was a good one. So I said I was. I said I forgot to give away. Oh, a mini eight ball. An eight ball. Oh, so yeah. uh, if you can tell me one of the two stops on the original State Street streetcar route, you can have a mini magic eight ball. <laughs> we got someone shouted out. What is it? What's one of the original stops? <laughs> Why were you so enthusiastic to answer that? <laughs> what was it? The ground. The ground. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> there was two. Which one? That it was. Oh, good <laughs> thinking. The original line went from Stern's Wharf to the Arlington Hotel. Thank you for coming. So the reason we've been giving out mini eight balls is because we like to finish each of our episodes with a question for our official magic eight ball. Which is so old and it's very so viscous old. inside. Really, and we're and just getting, triangles don't. Our eyes are yeah. getting bad and it's really hard Shh, to read. It's the viscousness. <laughs> Viscosity. So does anybody have a suggestion for a question? It could relate to one of our stories. Yes. Yes. Good one. That's a good one. There we go. Is the treasure still underneath? I think we can't do both options. We just asked the first part. Yeah. 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 So. Is it still under the parking garage? It says (laughs) Outlook Good. Oh. The treasure is still there. Thank you so, so much for coming to join us. And thank you also to Megan and the downtown team for hosting us from the city of Santa Barbara. We appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm. Hi, Mom. Thanks for listening to The Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. Like and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ghoul's Guide to SB. Our website is ghoulsguidetosb.com. Got a spooky story or know of a haunted or paranormal location in Santa Barbara? Send it to us at ghoulsguidetosb at gmail.com. <laughs>